Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Sarah Schachner for Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. What a cool score this is. You'll hear more from Sarah coming up in a minute. Lots of firsts in this episode. It is the first time that I've had Sarah Schachner on the show. So glad we were able to make that work. Also the first time I've put a Mashuga song in a show. And it's also our 50th show, which is kind of exciting. Another exciting thing, next week on Friday, December 16th at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern, Disaster Peace will join us on Discord while he's on a bit of a road trip. All patrons can hop on and chat with him and us and each other for that matter. We'd love to have you along for this long overdue chat with Disaster Peace. If you're not a patron, you can become one for a dollar a month at patreon.com slash level and we'll see you next Friday. So there's this invaluable website called Icy Veins. And if you have ever played any games that Blizzard makes, like World of Warcraft or Diablo, Hearthstone, Heroes of the Storm, you've likely stumbled across Icy Veins, or you already have it bookmarked on all your devices. Damien and Vlad started Icy Veins a handful of years ago, and my friends and I use that site so much, we just had to have these two on the show. I'm Vlad. I'm uh, one of the co-founders and co-owners of Icy Veins. I'm a law school graduate who is not practicing law and is instead doing icy veins. I'm Damien. Uh, I'm the other co-founder and co-owner of icy veins. I have a PhD in computer science, but uh, instead of researching stuff on computers, I'm just working icy veins. So how did you two meet? We actually met quite a few years before we started icy veins. Uh, we met through some common friends. We were playing a browser-based game called Dark Throne and um, we formed a sort of group of friends and we played uh, some other games together. We played some Counter-Strike. This must have been back in about, I would say, 2008 maybe? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And then we switched to trying out World of Warcraft and we all sort of started playing World of Warcraft together and raiding together during Wrath of the Lich King. When did you decide to start Icy Veins? In very early 2011. So that was my idea. And I needed someone that was very good at the game to help me. So I asked Vlad and he said yes. So it started and with World of Warcraft? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the site went online in March 2011. So two months after we started working on it. We had like, I don't know, one encounter guy. I think it was a Tramidis, and we had two class guides. I think it was Frost Mage and Holy Paladin. Yes. And then it went on from that and kept growing. So for people who aren't familiar with the site, can you describe what it is and why people use it? Mainly we're providing guides for World of Warcraft. So we tell people how to play their class. So World of Warcraft has 12 classes of characters like Druids, Death Knights, 
mages, paladins, and so on. So you, whichever you choose is going to change the way you're going to, you're going to play the game, and you need guidance on that. Each of these classes have three specs, so you can fill different roles with each of the classes, and it's quite complex, and people need to actually read up on what they're supposed to do, otherwise they can get kicked out of the groups that they join because they're not good enough, or they have a hard time finding a guild because they won't meet certain requirements. So, so it's a game where people really need to learn how to play, and we're one of the sites that people use to play World of Warcraft, and then we, we have a lot of smaller guys, I would say, the class guys are the main part. Then we have a lot of other guys for the Warcraft for other parts of the game. And, and then we branched out to Hearthstone, so we have decks for Hearthstone, Arena Tierists for Hearthstone, then we went to Diablo 3, we have uh, bids for Diablo 3, then Heroes of the Storm, so we have guides for each of the heroes in Heroes of the Storm. Mm-hmm. So it's all working out pretty well. And then we have an Overwatch section, but that's not really working out, so... But the other ones are doing very well. In World of Warcraft, it's uh, very important to perform well or you're going to get kicked from your guild or you're going to have trouble in your group. Yes. And back when we started playing with our friends, we somehow ended up being in leadership positions in the guild slash group that we were playing with. And um, one of the big reasons why we thought of starting the website, which was that we were having to do a lot of judging of people's ability mm-hmm. to do or you know not do things. And we were kind of frustrated at the lack of available information to help us do that. So that's why we kind of envisioned this idea of a website that would be a, a complete repository of knowledge, I guess you could say, for okay. that game at the time. Mm-hmm. And we knew from existing websites that they were presenting information differently than what we wanted, but we knew from this website that there was possibility of making a living out of it, uh, like to actually make money. Mm-hmm. So from the beginning, we started doing this like full-time, like right away, even, mm-hmm. even if it took a year and a half for it to generate any... You know, decent amount of money, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say uh, I first started using it because I'm a console gamer, so I didn't have, you know, a natural way to play a lot of these Blizzard properties until you know Diablo came out on console and Hearthstone came out. And with Diablo on console, whoever told me to to use your site, it completely changed the way I played the game. I mean, it it like you said, it taught me things that I wasn't even aware that my character would be able to do if I, you know, got this certain piece of armor or if I, you know, did this bounty enough times or, or whatever. It taught me how to play the game and it made it that much more fun for me, you know? Diablo is a really, it's the perfect example of a game that is very hard to play just, you know, by yourself. I mean, you need to like, you really need to read up on things because the interactions you can have between your items from the first look at the item is very hard to understand and see what other items you can combine it with or what spells you should use with the item. Right. And for Diablo, we have the chance of having a really, really good writer who is both really good at the game and he writes very well. So I think the, the guys, in addition to being like instructive, they're also very present to read. So um, the, the, I think it's a section where we, where we have the, maybe the best content in terms of quality, I would say. How many people work for you now? I don't know. We would have to count, but I would say maybe around 10. Okay. Yeah, a bit more now. When I send the payments every month, I have 15 payments to send. So that would be 15 people that are paid to work for, in addition to Vlad and I. 
Mm-hmm. Some of them are making a living out of it. Some others just make a side income. Mm-hmm. So it's very mm-hmm. va- variable depending on the game or yeah, depending on the level of, of um, involvement of the writer. So do you still play World of Warcraft, both of you? <laughs> uh, well, I do uh, a bit. I play it a little bit as well, but I mean, I, I, I log in quite a lot, but that's mostly just to check out tooltips or try out some kind of interaction to be able to update the guides. But playing it for fun, like we used to do six years ago, no. <laughs> How have your roles changed over the past five, six years? At the beginning, we were uh, writing everything, all the guides for the Warcraft, all the class guides, all the raid guides, so how, how to defeat the, the bosses in the game. And uh, it was difficult because there's a lot to write about and uh, yes. to reach the level of quality we wanted was, I think, I think we were a bit too... To be able to guide players adequately, you have to have a level of proficiency at mm-hmm. the specific task you're guiding them in. And that's very difficult to maintain. Yes. So eventually we reached out to actual pro players and asked them to you know, read the guides so the, for the class that they were good at and to tell us you know, what to change. And uh, this was the first time we had like, people that we paid to do something for us on the website. That was mm-hmm. the reviews of our class guides for World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be pretty cool because they gave us a lot of feedback and the, the guides really improved at the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, bit by bit, we started hiring people to make the other section. So it started with Hearthstone. That was the first game for which we hired the writer, Hearthstone. Then we hired someone for Diablo 3. Then we had people for Heroes of the Storm. We had three writers at the beginning. Now we have four. Wow. And eventually, we started delegating the World of Warcraft content. So now we have four class writers for World of Warcraft. There's Vlad and three other people. And each of the guides is still being reviewed by an independent top player that mm-hmm. actually plays the class at the highest level to ensure some degree of quality. Yeah. And then we hire news people, so people that write, who write the news on the website. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know, bit by bit, you, you get to uh, you know, hire people now. I don't, you, are you playing World of Warcraft? No, I I do a lot of Hearthstone right now. Okay. Well, just to give you an idea, just now we've hired someone to write uh, transmogrification guides in World of Warcraft. So if you've played Diablo 3, you know a bit uh, about this. You know, it's that yep. you can change your outfit to whichever piece of gear you mm-hmm. already have. So mm-hmm. all the appearance you've already collected in the game. So we have someone that uh, is going to work on the site on this particular topic. For me, at the, I don't write on the site anymore, so I'm only doing a supervising job, I would say, and I'm doing mm-hmm. all the technical work on the side. Mm-hmm. Vlad is still writing the class guides. He's also reviewing a lot of content that goes online on IC Veins. In the next few years, a few months, I mean, he's going to continue moving to a more uh, managerial yeah. work, I guess. I would position. say that that's been a big change over the last, I don't know, three years especially. We've shifted a lot more towards a managerial position. Mm-hmm. A great part of our time is now spent just talking to our various, I would call them employees, but it's not strictly true, mm-hmm. and just coordinating with them or doing this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do you, too, play Hearthstone? I, I do, a lot. Do you? 
Yeah, I always have it in the background somewhere. I, I play a lot while working, thinking that, you know, I can just play every minute and a half or something yes. like have a, to do a move. But I always end up, you know, spending more time thinking about my moves and, you know, being preoccupied with something else on the laptop at the same time. I just keep losing, but I still like the game. What class do you like to play? Right now I'm playing Shaman because uh, Sartor, our writer for Hearthstone, the, who's, who also cast World Championships for Blizzard, yes. told me this is the best class right now, so I'm just, I just gave it a try. Yes. I usually play Druid, Paladin, or Mage. These are my main classes. Well, we have like all the calls because we, right. we have to. Right. So typically when the new ex- when they have these uh, solo adventures that they release, we need to do a lot of testing on them like right away in order to write the guides and help Soto, you know, make them. Mm-hmm. So you, you need to have all the cards because you can, you need like very gimmicky decks in order to defeat uh, all the bosses. And uh, so you, should, you just have to you know, get the cards. I mean, you, you can't wait until you've, you have like 10,000 wins. Or I don't know how, how long it takes to actually get all the cards without paying. So what are some of your favorite cards? Oh, like, Ragnaros, or <laughs> yeah, definitely Ragnaros. Yeah, that one's pretty fun. Until a mage yeah. turns it into a one-one sheep. Yeah, but uh, sometimes I don't. <laughs> right. And they're having issues. <laughs> right. I, right. I don't think Vlad's playing a lot of Hearthstone these days. I don't think he's playing anything really. Hmm. No, not really. The the most recent Blizzard game I played seriously, I would say, is Overwatch. Um, oh yeah. It's difficult because the games are so good and so addictive that if we start playing one of them, uh, we're just going to have a severe drop in productivity. <laughs> the bulk of your traffic, which game, what what are they visiting your site for more often than, than any other game? World of Warcraft. Still? Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Well, I mean, right now, it's like 70% of the traffic. <laughs> But that's because there's been an expansion released uh, very recently. I would say a successful expansion. Yeah, very True. successful one. It, it's the biggest launch we've ever had. So wow. But usually, I mean, the, the the rest of the time. So I would like if you take the first six months of the year, I'd say World of Warcraft was like forty percent. Okay. And Hearthstone was thirty percent, and then you have Diablo and Heroes of the Storm and the forums that were making the mm-hmm. rest of the traffic. So why the name Icy Veins? It's a spell in uh, World of Warcraft. It didn't make it into Hearthstone yet. I'm still hoping it will. <laughs> and it, it makes your character uh, cast spells faster. So it, you can only use it every few minutes. Okay. And it has a limited uh, duration. Mm-hmm. But at the time I was playing a Frost Mage. So the, the, the closet has access to the spell. And I like the spell a lot. Yeah. Like it... it, it, it you know, makes you a lot better for a few, like for 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's a cool sounding spell. I mean, I like the name of it, so. Yeah. We always envisioned that we would one day expand beyond World of Warcraft, so we didn't really want to choose a name that would be too limiting. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, like WoW something or Warcraft something. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you both so much for chatting with me. Um, such a big fan and uh, love that this exists. It's such a great resource just for people who want to learn more about the games and, and learn new ways to play them. And uh, I just am so, so glad you're doing what you're doing. Well, thank you for, uh, for having us. Yeah, uh, thank I, you for having us. I, as, I don't know if I said it in the mail, but we used to have a lot of requests for uh, uh, I don't know, a podcast and stuff like this, but... 
as as we grew bigger, I think people stopped sending us invitations, thinking that maybe we, you know, we had outgrown the need or something to appear on podcasts. But it's always <laughs> a pleasure to, I don't know, to speak about what we do. I mean, it's our, I see it's our baby, obviously. Yeah. So it's always cool to be able to, you know, say a few words about it or explain how it started or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what we're there, what we're doing, what we're going to do next. I mean, I just love it so. You can learn more about Damien and Vlad at icyveins.com or at patreon.com slash level. Sarah Schachner scored the newest Call of Duty called Infinite Warfare. And this iteration of Call of Duty has some significant changes and Sarah got to make a lot of cool music for this game. It's in space, and you're basically just fighting this rogue group of humans that are called the Settlement Defense. They're trying to take over the solar system using violence, oppression, and classic... It's a classic good versus evil story. But uh, what's different is that this is the first time in Call of Duty where you are the... You're the commander, the captain, and you are making the decisions um, for the crew. Oh, yeah, Yeah, it's pretty cool because usually you're just kind of like this faceless soldier in the background that just orders are just getting barked at and you just follow. Um, So it's really cool to finally be like the leader. And so you spend a lot of time on your main ship, which is called the Retribution. What's cool is that there's seamless transitions between the ground combat and then there's zero gravity environments, spaceship combat where you're in like a little fighter jet that's called a jackal. So there's a lot of different types of combat. You mean there's like no loading screen between those transitions? You just get to go move? Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. It's just completely seamless. make sure I didn't pull up your the playlist and I want to make sure I have the names of the tracks in front of me just because I'm pretty sure there there was there was one called the Retribution, right? There is. Yeah, that that plays when yeah. you're just kind of cruising around on your ship and deciding what mission to do and talking to um, other crew members, so it's kind of like home base. Oh, so you get to control your mission uh, you get to make some choices there. Yeah, you can decide what order you want to do a lot of the missions in, which so it's not it's not as linear as most Call of Duties have been. They they're usually right, very linear. Right. Given all of this, you know, the setting uh, being in, in space and also, you know, where there is gravity and such, uh, tell me a little bit about how you came up with themes and kind of what was talked about initially 
in terms of the direction of the music. From the very start, before I even had the project, on just initial meetings, they were really clear on these two main story themes, and one was the weight of leadership, the burdens and sacrifices one has to make in war, and then the loneliness and isolation that you'd feel in space. Those were really the key points that they wanted, the main themes and just the score to capture those themes. They weren't really specific about instrumentation, but they liked the combination of synths and strings that I'd done in my past work, and they wanted something that had more of an intimate sound than the huge orchestral sound they've done in the past. But they were pretty open. So for the main theme, which is Anthropic Universe, I think some people think Infinite Warfare is the theme, but (laughs) that's just a secondary theme. But uh, the main theme is Anthropic Universe, and I just really wanted something that was really simple that could capture both of those emotional themes with one melody, really. So it really is just those six piano notes. When you hear it on the piano, I feel like that really represents just the isolation and loneliness in space. And then when it comes in with full orchestra, you hear the same melody again. That speaks more to the weight of leadership and the emotional burdens of making those hard choices for the greater good. And did you shadow it with cello a little bit in the beginning there? I did, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of piano and cello, a lot of solo cello. I just love the cello. I thought it was just kind of against like a bed of synth ambiences when you just hear like a solo string instrument. I just really like that contrast. So who did you work with, soloist-wise and and things like that? We used the Nashville Orchestra. So we went to Nashville for the sessions. We split it up to sessions. It was a pretty small orchestra. It was like 20-something strings, 10 brass, huge emphasis on low strings and low brass. There were like tenor trombones, bass trombones. It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I I noticed that the low strings seem to have a lot of fun in this score. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you're a string player, too. So you know how to, you definitely can can give them some good times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm primarily a violin player, but I, over the past couple of years, I've picked up the cello, and I don't mean to play favorites, but I do love the cello.
curious about the recording sessions and and I just when I was thinking about this, I was a little surprised. I've never really thought about this before. So you get to be the first time I've ever asked this question is that during the recording sessions, I'm curious how much you're thinking ahead to the things you'll add later, or if that's something that comes just after the process and you're just focused on the session when you're at the session. You know what I'm asking? Oh, you mean like the synth, the synth elements and all? Yeah. Yeah. Because you add a lot of that stuff after the recording, right? Well, actually, I, no. Actually, it's all done before. Really? Yeah. Oh, because you mock it up, of course. Yeah. So you mock it up, and of course, of course. Yeah, and so my mock-ups are generally like fully realized as much as they can be. And because I play a lot of the string parts myself for the mock-ups, uh-huh. that's kind of how I write. I just, you know, I'll write a cello thing on the cello, and then I'll jump over to the Jupiter synth and do a part on there. It's kind of all just one process. I don't really separate the two as like, oh, synths are a different stage and orchestral, you know, kind of one organic producing and writing process. So yeah, everything is done, completely done by the session. And then they, so they'll have those other tracks, like they'll have the synths and the percussion and stuff in their headphones if they want to hear it while they're playing along to it. Of course, that makes that makes uh, a total sense. And I mean, I guess you know when you put it that way, that would be the ideal way anyway. Would it have all of that ready and done and written? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. I could maybe yeah. see like a different type of score that it might work the other way. But for this score in particular, I almost wanted the synths to be another section in the orchestra. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know, in some tracks, the orchestra is playing the main part and synths are kind of just in the background and then like a track like faulty wiring i mean that track is just like non-stop modular synth and the orchestra just plays a very background supporting role also had a lot of really nice horn stuff in there so uh, tell me a little bit about home so that's really the only moment of peace you really get before just all hell breaks loose and that track really just represents your connection to home the earth your home planet and just the emotional ties you have to it and why you're do- why you're in this war at all is to save your home It's kind of funny because the developers, Infinity Ward, they were like really adamant from the start that they didn't want the score to have like a stereotypical sci-fi sound, you know, that big orchestral kind of sci-fi thing. And I feel like a solo horn is a little stereotypical sci-fi, but I just, I felt like the rest of the score was so not like that, that I thought it was nice to just like have that moment.
the opening of Rally Point kind of reminded me of that piece, and I'm wondering if that was just me overthinking it, <laughs> or if that was intentional. Well, now that you say that, it, and now that I'm he- like thinking of it back, it does. You're right. It does kind of follow that like same melodic shape. It's actually a variation on the back half of Anthropic Universe, the major minor kind of piano thing. It's like a less pensive, more energized version of that to just like rally you up to go kill a bunch of bad guys. I'm so glad you brought up the major minor thing because I loved that at the end of Anthropic Universe. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought that was that was really effective. So tell me a little bit about that. I mean, I just have a thing for that, for like the switching between major and minor. It just never <laughs> gets old to me. It can be beautiful, but then it it always has this underlying unsettling feeling to it, which I thought was fitting for the main theme and just and it's cool because for that part, oh, I don't want to give any spoilers to the story, but they use it at a, a point in the game that is is a really special moment when you're kind of floating around in space. So it was cool. tracks that stood out to me. Uh, I loved the real weird guitar in a track called All or Nothing. <laughs> it's, not, it's actually a synth. For real? Yeah, it's like a, it was a modular synth patch. It does kind of sound like a guitar though, like a weird deranged guitar. But um, that, yeah, that track was cool because it came about from just a long improvisation. I, you know, sometimes I'll write tracks like I'll write a melody or the chords or whatever. But for that track in particular, I just had recorded like a 20 or 30 minute improvisation on the modular with no plan. Like I wasn't even planning it for a track. It was just completely random. Just 20 minutes of me sitting and turning knobs and it's very boring and long. But then (laughs) I went back, I went back in and I found that little riff that kind of plays throughout the track. It was just one small part. 
in the whole 20 minute thing and I was like, oh, that's cool. So I built the whole track around that. back to some of these tracks in a minute but since I've never had the pleasure of having you on I, I would love to hear a little bit about how you got into composing music and being such a, a synthy gearhead type <laughs> <laughs> I mean I've been doing music since I was five essentially I've just always been surrounded by it my parents were always playing you know my mom would play film scores throughout the house when we were little and we'd dance around in the living room to like Ennio Morricone and like Last of the Mohegans and all that stuff. And my dad is a recording engineer, so he was always super encouraging with me and my sister to learn instruments. And he'd actually, he'd come home from work every day and be like, did you practice? And my sister and I would be like, oh, no. I think he even offered to like pay us money once to practice. <laughs> but I guess it worked out. I used to want to just kind of do the band thing. It didn't really occur to me to compose until college, really. My mom had always put that in my head that she thought that I should compose for film because she just thought the stuff that I wrote sounded like film music. But I was I never really... I don't know, I think growing up, like you, it just never seems like something that's feasible. Nobody really knows how you get into that career, and it just always seems like this impossible, far-off thing. But um, I went to Berkeley College of Music, and they have a film scoring program. And then I moved out here, and I guess just a serendipitous turn of events of just <laughs> working for various people, and I just managed to get my foot in the door. And you're quite the gamer yourself, right? I mean, I... I've never really considered myself a gamer. Like, I, you know, I grew up with playing Sega and Nintendo 64, and I was obsessed with the GoldenEye 007 game. I think that was where I, my love for, like, first-person shooters started with that game. But, um, mm -hmm. I mean, and I played in college and stuff. I played Halo and Call of Duty in college. But I don't know. I've just never, like, music has always been such an obsession that, I don't know, I never really thought of myself as a gamer. But I do I do enjoy playing them. I mean, I just can't imagine, like, playing Call of Duty 4, you know, years ago or whatever, and then suddenly in 2016 you've scored Infinite Warfare. I mean... <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of insane. It, it definitely, like, scoring a game that you yourself are a fan of and play is, is really special.
Uh, was there a singer on there, or was that you, or who's who's uh, voice <laughs> yeah. did I hear on there? It was me. <laughs> be so fun to to be able to add things like that yeah it is fun I mean I I will use anything that makes a sound like if I'm if I can't find a sound sometimes I just like wander around my house I'm like oh this metal pot looks like it might make a cool sound (laughs) I've talked about this before but on Infinite Warfare a lot of the percussion is like weird metallic objects. And I have these tin whales that my parents got me. They're just like decorative tin recycled tin whales. And they're like, they're like a main sound for like all the clickety metal stuff comes from those (laughs) whales. (laughs) Because you definitely bring the funk. I mean, there's some funky stuff in here. And uh, that was really fun to hear like Titan and Bloodstorm fight or flight. There was there was some really, really fun ones there. Yeah, I yeah, I like rhythmic stuff. I think maybe like all these years that I worked with Brian, his drumming probably rubbed off on me a bit. <laughs> Brian Brian Tyler. Brian Tyler, yeah. Cuz you know, he's an amazing drummer and his music is very rhythmic. But um Bloodstorm actually that crazy rhythm, it was definitely inspired, maybe a little more than inspired by um there's this Meshuggah song called New Millennium Cyanide Christ. I like took a piece of their rhythm. If you, you'll probably recognize it if you listen to that song. But theirs is like way faster and it's in 2316, some insane meter. But I kind of like took a little piece of the rhythm and then just extrapolated upon it in a completely different context. where that inspiration came from and then titan we had the first like two minutes that big build-up in titan we had the orchestra at the live sessions we had the orchestra hitting their instruments with pencils and sticks that's always really fun some of the players have a lot of fun but then some of them you can tell like aren't that amused by being asked to hit their two million dollar cello but it all worked out Is Afterlife a bonus track? I can't remember. It is a bonus track. It, okay. Just in that okay. it's on it's not on the vinyl, but it's on the the iTunes. Okay. And that yeah, that was for well, zo- zombie mode. Yes. Nice. Cause Afterlife is amazing. So <laughs> tell me about how you made that track. <laughs> so yeah, that track, it's like you if you die in zombie mode, you go into this kind of 80s arcade afterlife heaven thing and it's just this deranged carnival 
arcade vibe that plays. I did sample some for sound sources. Like I sampled, I think that organ, there was a weird organ in there. I sampled off of somewhere. I don't even remember. But then there's this app, this iPad app that's just amazing. I almost don't want to talk about it because then everyone will know. But um, it's like $10 or something. It's so good. You can sample anything, any sound, anything from anywhere, and then it just gives you endless ways to mangle it, and you can just create something totally new with any sound source at all. It's really, it's really helpful. So, yeah, I think some of the stuff came from sampling with that app, and then, you know, I played guitar and sang the weird circus choir. <laughs> kind of like a Danny Elfman vibe. Yeah. is what they were looking for, for zombies. you so much it was just great to, to finally have the opportunity to have you on and um long admirer and looking forward to everything that's coming up next thank you it was great thank you for having me you can learn more about sarah at patreon.com level our Discord hang with Disaster Peace is next Friday, December 16th, 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern. All patrons welcome with open arms. We hope to chat with you then. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at june-media.com. Remember, June is J-O-O-N. <laughs> <laughs>